Well, hello. Uh, I'm Steve Madsen. Uh, and if you joined Cornerstone Fellowship in the past year, it's likely you and I have never met, which is really strange for me because I was a part of this organization for 30 years. Uh, you may have heard that uh, my wife and I started Cornerstone as a Bible study in our home in the fall of uh, 1992, 31 years ago. And here we are now with the ministry still going forward and we're gonna be opening our Bibles in a minute and studying the Word of God. So I'm so glad that you've joined us. I hope you have your Bible. Uh, some of you have been asking, what have I been doing uh, in this uh, so-called retirement of mine? And uh, I gotta tell you, I took about a week off and I entered into this new ministry that we have called Restore, where I'm uh, traveling around the Bay Area uh, every week and also all over the world, spending my time restoring pastors in ministry. And the last few years have been really hard on pastors, and uh, they're all digging out now and, and pushing forward. And uh, and so I'm just I'm just going and kind of being a like a spiritual father to some of these folks, and uh, listening, encouraging, coaching, and it's been fantastic. And then there are some of you that are supporting this ministry because I do have some expenses, and so. If there are those of you that want to support this ministry, they're going to put some information up uh, that will help you know how to support it. I think they'll send you to my website and uh, just let you know. Most importantly, just support it in prayer and, uh, and text me, call me if you want. They'll put my phone number up there and we'll have a chat and we can catch up, maybe even get a cup of coffee. But I want you to know I miss you and I love you and I'm honored to be on the teaching team where today we continue the sermon series where we have been exploring lies. Usually you come to church to explore the truth, but you know, you have to identify the lies and the counterfeits. And uh, the lies we've been ex uh, exploring are the lies that we are all tempted to believe about ourselves. Uh, false narratives that influence our sense of identity and lead us away from the only secure source that defines us that we are the beloved children of God. I hope you've been hearing that in this series. You're a beloved child of God, and you know what? You can't do anything about that. Uh, God's love for you is not dependent upon your behavior or even if you love him back. Now, it is good to love him back because we enter into the kingdom of heaven and, and, and we can start our eternal life now, but God loves you no matter what. He always has. So this series is helping each of us uh, answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Uh, and man, I've really enjoyed it. In the first sermon, uh, uh, Pastor Becky kicked it off and introduced us to Henry Nouwen, a famous Dutch theologian uh, who once listed five lies that we all can believe about ourselves. And here they are. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say or think of me. I'm nothing more than my worst moment, and I'm nothing less than my best moment. These are all lies. Looking back on my 66 years, I've come to realize that at different points in my life, I've bought into each one of these statements. I can still get hooked by them. They're powerful, they're convincing, and if we're not careful, we will start believing that who we are is defined by 
what we have, what we do, what other people think about us, or by our best or worst moments. You know, this only results in stress, worry, disappointment, and discontent. Now, today we're gonna to focus on one of the lies. Today the lie we're gonna focus on is, I am what I have. My possessions and, and my money define me. And we open by uh, reading about a man in the Gospels whose possessions were the only thing keeping him from becoming one of Jesus' followers. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 19. Let's go together to Matthew chapter 19. And I'm going to start reading in just a moment from verse 16, where Jesus met this guy and had a conversation with him where he invited him to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And all the guy had to do was one thing. Let's read together Matthew 19, 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus responded, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to the disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What a sad story. This guy could not imagine parting with his wealth, even though he had just been invited to receive eternal life from the only person who could give it. You realize, when Jesus said, come and follow me, he was inviting this guy to be one of his closest followers. He only said this to people who did follow him, even like Matthew, the author of this book, who himself was wealthy, but walked away from his wealth to follow after Christ. Jesus could have given him eternal life, but instead he, he chose a, a short future with a lot of stuff, but choosing it over an eternity with the Lord in a place of great reward. And according to Jesus, that's the power that wealth can have over us, that would cause us to make an eternal choice when what we possess possesses us. When we believe the lie, I am what I have, it becomes very difficult to enter God's kingdom. You know, our world bombards us relentlessly with messages suggesting that our possessions determine our value, our success, and our happiness. Advertisements, marketing campaigns, 
societal pressures attempt to convince us that constantly acquiring more, newer, and better things will bring the satisfaction we deeply crave. Every television commercial shows people who seem happier than us, all because they purchased a product. What a lie. But billions of dollars are poured annually into reinforcing this deception, pulling us deeper into a cycle of consumption and leaving us continually pursuing the next purchase. Because, as you know, it's the stuff we own and the money we make that communicates to our world that we are successful, important, and worthwhile. Now, it's true that a new possession, um, another zero on our paycheck, it's nice. I mean, these things do give us an adrenaline rush. But that's all it is. It's a very quickly fleeting satisfaction that never provides lasting contentment. In order to experience lasting joy and fulfillment, we must constantly battle our insatiable desire for earthly wealth, which leads us down a very dark, selfish path. As faithful followers of God, it's crucial for us to navigate through this falsehood and seek the contentment that surpasses materialistic pursuits. Christian author uh, Howard Dayton Jr. has written a bunch of books about money. They're good. In one of the books, he tells us that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were about money and possessions. He He goes on to say that one out of 10 verses in the four Gospels deal directly with the subject of money. Now, the entire Bible offers just over 500 verses on prayer and just less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. In one of those gospel passages, Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 19, Jesus tells his listeners, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is clear. Earthly treasure has to be maintained and guarded or it will rust, mold, be destroyed or stolen. And what we treasure the most soon occupies the centermost place in our heart. So, as he always does, Jesus offers a simple remedy. Don't hoard money, property, or possessions. Just keep what you need and give away the rest. True treasure lies in heavenly things which which are eternal and cannot be taken from us. All right, let's, let's go to another scripture. Let's flip over to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teachers, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Whoa, did you hear what Jesus said there? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We gotta memorize that one. Life, come do it with me. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let's do it again. Life does not consist 
of an abundance of possessions. Wow, keep reading. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then Jesus ends by saying this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus called this wealthy man a selfish fool. Just assuming he hadn't accumulated enough this guy foolishly assumed that tomorrow was guaranteed and that he would never stand before God to account for how he stewarded God's blessings. It didn't even occur to him not to build bigger barns, but instead to share the excess. That would have been so much easier. You know, um, Solomon was very wealthy and he wrote in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Brothers and sisters, the pursuit of earthly wealth is a never-ending cycle of dissatisfaction. Those whose focus is on accumulating more and more are never truly content because they never arrive at, at, at the destination. As a matter of fact, studies show that wealthy people fret about money more than the middle classes who are often more content. We easily can develop unhealthy attachments to money and possessions an attachment that can, can get worse as we accumulate more, uh, because the more you have, the more you have to lose. If we're not on guard, our, our possessions will, will possess us. They will become our core identity. Well, back to the Gospel of Luke, where after concluding the parable of the rich fool, Jesus goes on to provide a better way to live. Verse 22, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I'm telling you, do not worry about your life. Friends, make that a mantra. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. Jesus says, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Uh, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? And who of you by worrying can add a, a, a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Uh, I, I'm gonna keep reading. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you of little faith? Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink and don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you, 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 you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. 
Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you hear Jesus repeating himself? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Friends, where's your treasure today? What do you treasure? You know, we should, rem we should memorize that. Where your treasure is, say that, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, what, what's happening is God doesn't want us to give our hearts to material things. God doesn't want our focus to be there. He wants to bless us so that we can have our focus upward and outward. Now, if you were listening to Jesus closely, you may have heard him point out why we continue to accumulate money and possessions long after our basic needs are met. Look again at verse 22. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Worry, worry. That's why we refuse to share. We're afraid we're gonna run out of money. Hoarding is fear-based. Jesus confronts us not to be afraid if we will have enough. Friends, God's gonna meet your needs. Trust him. God's gonna meet your needs. Fear and worry are the, are the opposite of faith and trust. Jesus reminds us that our priorities and our values are revealed to ourselves and others by where we invest our time, our resources, and our energy. If our life goals are too tied up in acquiring and keeping our hands on earthly wealth, then our hearts will be consumed by worldly desires. However, when we store up treasures in heaven, our hearts align with God's kingdom purposes and we experience true fulfillment and joy. One of the ways we battle against our money and our possessions having too much control over us is by constantly giving stuff away. Sell your possessions, Jesus says, and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where, where no thief can come near and no moth can destroy. Hmm. You know, sharing your wealth generously proves to yourself and others that your wealth doesn't have too much of a hold on you. It's through our generosity that we store up treasures in heaven where they're safe from decay and loss. And like Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. By sharing our wealth generously, we align ourselves with God's heart and become vessels of his love and provision. As we do that, we take hold of the life that is truly life. When we let generosity become part of our core identity, we automatically become more joyful and we worry less. All right, let's allow the great apostle Paul to weigh in on this. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy... Chapter 6, verse 6. Oh, I love this one. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, I wonder if Paul is even thinking of specific people when he writes that. That's what caused him to conclude that godliness with contentment is, is, is great gain. Contentment is an impossible goal for the person who focuses too much on obtaining more and more and more. All right, let's look at one more New Testament book before we discuss these things with each other. Jesus' younger brother, James, eventually became a key leader in the Jerusalem church along with Peter and John. His five-chapter book is packed with helpful instruction for all of us. Let's go just to James 1.9. James 1.9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. James is warning us um, that wealth isn't a guarantee that you'll always have it. Uh, the, the wealthy can possess a false sense of security, believing the lie that they can trust life's circumstances to always be in their favor. You know, those of us that are wealthy can possess a false sense of security, believing the lie that we can trust life's circumstances to always be in our favor. You know, many things shape our identity. Many lies can, what we do, what we have, even what other people think of us. But an identity founded in these things is risky because life can take a turn. And if we live long enough, most of us will concede that no amount of material things will be enough for, to, to, to truly define us in a lasting, fulfilling way. Plus, we all remember the times when we had less, but we enjoyed life more. Well, there is a much better place to build our identity than in money, property, and possessions. A better foundation for our true self. Something deep. Something unshakable. Something lasting. For me, it's this. I am God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. No matter what happens in your life, that identity is secure. Relationships come and go. Your career can change. Money can be lost. Your, your health can plummet. People can cheer you or criticize you. Tragedy can strike. But none of that can disrupt your, your, your foundational identity. Now, in this series, we've been attempting each week to influence your thinking away from the lies and into the truth. And the truth about the only secure source for identity, the truth that each one of us is a beloved child of God. Today, we've confronted the pervasive lie that says, I am what I have. If we can stop believing that, we can seek our worth and validate our existence in Jesus when he says, uh, I know who you are. And, and when we say, I am who Jesus says I am. Be not afraid, he says. I'm always with you. Be not afraid. I, I, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. And, and don't let your worth be determined by what you owned. 
but by who owns us. Because we are his, and he is ours. And when we dwell there, we find lasting contentment and joy. It was Francis of Assisi who said, uh, I am who I am in the sight of God, nothing more and nothing less. What would it like to, 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 to live as, as someone who based their self-esteem on only on who God says they are? How much more rested and less stressed would you be if you, if you knew once and for all that you really have nothing to prove, even to yourself? Jesus came to share his identity with you and to tell you that you are beloved sons and daughters of God. Just for a moment, ponder this enormous mystery that you are the beloved child of God. A God who says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've engraved your name on the palm of my hand. And that's enough to be loved eternally by our heavenly Father. So friends, let's not be known for the size of our paychecks or our bank accounts. Let's not be known for our possessions and property. Let's not be known for, 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 for what we've accomplished. But instead, let's be known for how generously we share. Now let's enjoy what God has given us and also use our resources as a means to bless others, never forgetting that true wealth lies in our relationship with God. Let's continue to remind ourselves of how uncertain wealth is and of the lasting value of investing in the eternal. Let's resist the pressure imposed by society that tell us more is better and instead embrace a perspective that prioritizes spiritual richness, genuine relationships, and compassionate service towards others. By shifting our focus to these values, we open the door to becoming rich, rich in the things money cannot buy. Well, that's enough for now. Uh, I'm gonna pray for you and bless you, and then we'll go into a time of discussion. Please bow your heads and let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us today that our worth is not determined by what we own, but by our relationship with you. Help us resist the temptation of finding our identity and material possessions and instead focus on storing treasures in heaven. May we live as your beloved children, children who trust their Heavenly Father. Amen. And now, let the Lord bless you. Let the Lord keep you. Let his face shine upon you. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, wait, wait, before you go, three things. First, consider becoming one of Cornerstone Fellowship's financial partners. Uh, your donations will ensure that you'll be able to continue enjoying helpful and hopefully life-changing messages like the one you just watched. And then number two, please share the link to this message with anyone who you know needs it or will be blessed by it or by posting the link to your own personal social media platforms, all of them. And finally, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and turn on the bell so you'll be alerted whenever we post more content. Thanks for watching.